Who's that stumbling around in the dark? State your business or prepare to get winged. Troll team. Are there any trolls in the <laughs> There is not a single troll. <laughs> he has morals, even though he's an atheist. You cannot say something like that. I was the guy throwing the Molotov cocktail. Of course. <laughs> Anytime the Queen was on the screen, you had to be drinking constantly. <laughs> it is hard to like this film. <laughs> I don't want to be interacting with Liam Neeson's cock. <laughs> the movie wave. It was just good fun. Hello and uh, welcome to the Movie Wave podcast. Uh, I am your host Sergio Calvo, and with me today we have uh, film critics uh, Susanna Marchant. Hello there. And uh, George Sully as well. Hey, hey. We are uh, recording live <laughs> at the Film House Cafe in Edinburgh. It's uh, episode 31, and it's, the, it's actually the final episode of the, the Movie Wave, and uh, I'll be brief explaining why we are closing down the, the podcast. Uh, my life will be shortly taking me to new ventures in a new country and I'm very busy sorting things out right now. I don't want to get more specific but uh, I, I, I will not be able to continue producing the show and, uh, and also uh, collaborating with uh, Tricycle Magazine. Uh, so that's basically it. Uh, I think the best thing we can do now is just get on with business and uh, uh, today we're going to be talking about... Uh, Quentin Tarantino's uh, Django Unchained. But before before we get there, uh, we're going to pick our movie wave uh, favorite film. Uh, that's the film that uh, we like the most from all the films that we had in our uh, main discussion in all, in all the podcasts. So, so I'm going to go through all of them right, right now, quickly, quickly. The films we have discussed were Presume Guilty, Dogtooth, Rubber, The Sunset Limited, The Silent House, The Skin I Live in, Red State, Midnight in Paris, Tabloid, Another Earth, The Descendants, A Dangerous Method, Young Adult, uh, Avengers Assemble, Prometheus, Holy Motors, Skyfall, Ted, The Master, and Django Unchained. All right, Susanna, so what's, uh, what's your pick? Goodness. Uh, there were a few. Um, the well, the presumed guilty was just a big eye opener for me. That was really uh, uh, that was pretty powerful stuff. But I think my favourite would be the skin I live in. I um, I mean I did hesitate between the skin I live in, Avengers Assemble, <laughs> and Django as well. <laughs> Um, but I thought, well, let me go with something more artsy. <laughs> um, it was just, I mean, I, I really like Almodovar and he's always, he always surprises me and, um, and scares me and disgusts me and I think he's really, he's, he's amazing. Um, and it was just such a good film, I, you know, unexpected and you just, it, it's, it's, it's a great film, basically. That's what I'm saying. Um, and, it, and it gave us a lot to talk about as well. I think it did. I, I'm not sure if it's actually, you know, definitely the best of them all that of, of the films that we've talked about. But it, I think it's one of my favorites. All right, that's good. Uh, what's uh, your favorite, uh, George? Um, well, again, obviously there is a, a smorgasbord to pick from. Um, we co we've covered a fair a fair banquet of films over the over the years, and it's very difficult to pick a pick a favorite. I think 
I've got a soft spot for the Silent House, but I will say that my favourite was probably Holy Motors. Um, I didn't get a chance to contribute to the podcast where we discussed the film, but I still want to put in my two cents. It was a complete conceptual cluster mug of very difficult to follow, but conceptually rich cinema. I think the the amount of layers that went into it and the amount of second guessing that you had to try and do to follow what was going on and the the, the kind of themes that it dealt with were so much to process. So I'm sure I, if I could have, I would have sat in the cinema for a good hour or two just trying to work out exactly what had happened. You know, with the, the scene with Eva Mendes and the troll that takes him takes her to the sewers and uh, the, you know, the, the CGI motion capture vampire sex and all the crazy and the scene with with Kylie Minogue off the rooftops and the suicide and just there's so much going on that you just you 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 can't just take it in one go you have to decode it you have to unpack it and I think for that kind of you know cinematic feat is is remarkable and I you know I I can't not pick that as a favorite personally you know I mean, if only for the central scene where he's playing the accordion in the cathedral and has the people following him around. It's just, that stole the show for me. But as a whole, the, the piece was, was just something that you can't just digest in one swallow like most mainstream cinema these days. It was something to take away and unpack and think about and process. And for that, I pick it as my winner. Yeah, well, it was my favorite film from last year. And I think uh, both Suzanne and I liked it. We had an interesting discussion. Susanna wasn't too sure, but Wait, no, no. I think eventually you did like it. I do remember, yeah, l leaving the cinema and not being sure yeah. about what, uh, what, what the hell happened? just happened. What was uh, when I was sitting there, it, it, I think the first 20 minutes or half an hour was just excruciating, and I was just thinking, should I just leave or should I just give it? Just, an, just, just give it another five minutes, another five minutes. And then with the, yeah, with the scene with the accordion, that was great because I thought, oh, that's a good breather. <laughs> um, but then, so yeah, I left the cinema and I had no idea what had just happened and I just needed to think it all through. And then once you start taking it apart and analyzing it and thinking, taking it basically as a piece of art, because it was basically a piece of art, then, then you start understanding it more and appreciating it way more because it was something so different to what you usually see. And it grew, it grew on you. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. yes. I'm not, I'm not sure if it would be easy to sit down and watch it again. <laughs> But uh, no, yeah, yeah, I definitely did like it. Yeah. My top film, or my favorite uh, movie wave film, is uh, one of the first films we discussed here on the, on the show, Dogtooth. And what, what's interesting about this film, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a bit, um, it's a strange film. It's a very strange film. You don't really know. I don't want to get too much into it because the people who haven't seen it, it's the best thing you can do is don't read anything about it. Just go, go for it, watch it, and then uh, you get into this house of this Greek family where they're all behaving in a very strange way. You don't really know what's going on. But uh, with the time, things you know, start to make sense. Like you kind of figure out what's, what's happening, and I love that. I love what that happens in films. I think one of the things that worked for me from uh, this film is this combination of drama and uh, horror film and uh, dark comedy as well. And uh, it also worked for me as a, an allegory of uh, government control over society and about the abuse of power. 
I think it's the best film I have discussed in the podcast. I, I know some people don't agree with me, but I really, really loved it. And uh, yeah, and it's one of the best films I've seen in the last years. Actually, the director of the film, uh, Yorgos Lanthimos, has uh, recently released a new film called Alps, which I haven't seen yet, but I can't wait to see. Um, right, so we're done with this first segment of the show now, which is a wee notification to our listeners. You can still find the show on Stitcher and on iTunes. There won't be any new episodes uh, coming up there, as this is the last episode so probably there isn't a point to subscribe right now but you can access their part of our episode archive and uh, if you want to listen to our show or download our full catalog of episodes you can just go to the moviewave.podbean.com and you will find there the 31 episodes of the movie wave uh, yeah just a few clicks and you will enjoy surfing hours of waves now let's have a wee break and uh, we'll be back talking about quentin tarantino's Django Unchained. Django! Django, have you always been alone? Django! Django, have you never loved again? Love will live on, oh, life must go on, for you cannot spend your life back and it's time to talk about Django Unchained. Uh, we are in the deep south of a divided America two years before the Civil War. Uh, Jamie Foxx plays Django, a black slave that is set free by German bounty hunter Dr. King Schultz, played by Christoph Waltz. Uh, they both team up for the bounty hunting business and they set out to rescue Django's wife from a brutal Mississippi plantation owner Calvin Candy played by Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio. Let's play a clip. What's your name, boy? His name is Django Freeman. Hmm. Why'd you dig him up? Well, fortuitous turn of events brought Django and myself together. I've heard tell about you. I heard you've been telling everybody that Mandingos ain't no damn good. Ain't nothing nobody is selling is worth buying. I'm curious. What makes you such a Mandingo expert? I'm curious what makes you so curious. 
What did you say, boy? Calm down, Butch. No offense given. None taken. What do you guys think of Django Unchained? Um, I always approach, you know, a Tarantino film with a bit of um, apprehension because it's such a bandwagon to jump on. Um, but, you know, in every case, I'm always disarmed and always enjoy it. I thought Inglorious Bastards was one of his greatest achievements to date. Um, Django wrestled for that top spot and almost took it. But the thing that let it down was the final act in my book. But before I get onto that, I mean, to be honest, the, the majority of the film was an absolute showstopper. I thought the, 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 the directing, the, the dialogue, the choice of cast. I mean, Christoph Waltz is obviously a, a Tarantino baby at the moment. He really likes him. He put him in Glorious. Um, he's, he's very, you know, very talented at what he does and very good at being this kind of sinister yet calm character. Um, and Jamie Foxx, he's an inspired choice. Absolutely brilliant. You know, gave this 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 wonderful a, a performance of someone that's that's very skilled, but but you know unaware of their own potential. And, and obviously another great classic Tarantino revenge flick. You know, it was basically it did for for you know the the oppressed black population what Inglorious did for Jews, and was just you know a great a great kind of you know powerful cathartic experience. Um, my only real kind of gripes were Christoph Waltz just seemed like Colonel SS Hans Lander again in Inglorious. I felt that he wasn't that different to how he was in Inglorious Busters and, and for me that kind of stuck the whole the whole way through. I couldn't really get away from that. I just thought this is the same guy. He's not really adapting himself to Look, the he's got a beard this time. <laughs> he's got a beard, but a beard is not enough. No, a, beard and a, a hat. A beard and a hat and a big giant plastic tooth is not enough. <laughs> Although, you know, you know, props for the, for the symbolism of a, of a dentist attacking someone called Candy. That, you know, that was quite nice, I thought. Um, but, and secondly, the final act. I mean, I don't really want to spoil it for those who haven't seen it, but there is a point where the film could have finished and then it carries on. And there is a slightly awkward cameo from Tarantino that really did not need to happen. The, wor the worst bit in the film. It just, just didn't need to happen. I mean... Fair enough, Pulp Fiction. That was great, you know. You know, Dead yeah. Nigger Storage, whatever. That was great. I enjoyed that in Pulp Fiction. But he's got to stop showing up in his own movies. He's not an actor. He's a director. There, there was a bit of a green scene, eh? wasn't it? Yeah, just. I mean, come on, Quentin. This is <laughs> this is a realm for actors. You he loves that. He loves he loves acting in his own films. Whether he loves it or not, it's <laughs> not. It's there's a, there's it's not the right thing. Definitely not the right thing. I mean, what was up with his accent? Yeah, I mean, if you haven't seen it, you will see what I mean when you see it. It's, you know. But other than that, the the kind of nostalgic soundtrack, which again another winner. I think the soundtrack is going to be an instant purchase for me as soon as it's it's available. And the the kind of the palette of the film is is very consistent and rich and vibrant and the Fantastic. the whole uh, absolutely the cinema, cinematography is unbelievable and you know I, I walked away from it feeling very you know invigorated. I also saw it at the same time as I saw Lincoln and it's just kind of like two sides of the same <laughs> coin, same kind of black liberation thing but just a bit more fun. And I honestly like really enjoyed it. It was one of the best ways to start the year to, for me, you know, so um, that's my two cents. Uh, that was interesting. Uh, let's see what uh, Susanna has to say here. I've Jungle. <laughs> I've, I've always loved Tarantino. Even, I even, I even loved Death Proof, which was just totally kicked to death. I really All right, I'm not alone then. <laughs> 
I really did love it because I think what the main reason was just like Kill Bill it had strong female characters you don't get that in in movies nowadays really you mainly get male characters and female characters are only there (laughs) female characters are only there to be rescued um, or to uh, be raped or uh, just to talk about men you don't really get strong female characters so that's why I appreciate Death Proof and and, and, um, Kill Bill and that's why I was a bit upset that the, the, the female character in this film in Django needed to be rescued because yeah. she was so useless and trying to rescue herself. She's, she you, you says nearly nothing. <laughs> she has maybe a few lines of dialogue at most and half of it's German. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, to be perfectly honest, not a very good German. Oh, but really? that's my personal <laughs> opinion. <laughs> well, I mean, she's a slave. Maybe she didn't get the best teacher. No, the thing was, she was supposedly taught... German by a German person when she was a child, so she should have got, you know, a good German accent, but she totally didn't. But that's totally that's really unimportant. That's really unimportant. My point was she was there to be rescued, right? So, but uh, you wanted her to kick ass, basically. Maybe not, not maybe not kick ass. It just, so basically, that was my only problem was that there was a female, but she needed to be rescued. So, but the the thing was that okay, so so things kind of centered around her, so, and and but then she was no, she was just kind of useless trying to save herself. She needed help, so so that was it. But I can forgive him for that because he did kill Bill, and you know that's fine. I mean, do you think that maybe that was just him being a prisoner of the era? I mean, for an empowered female character at that time, would that have been too far from the? The, the truth. I mean, obviously, Tarantino has some liberties. Exactly. He has some liberties, exactly. and obviously, you know, uh, you know, he, he, you know, with Inglorious Bastards, it's a completely alternative history. Absolutely. But, but maybe he's vying for some degree of realism, and oh. maybe I don't know. I don't know. Like oh. just of the time, just of the time. I don't know. So, oh, you can change history, but a woman should always find, know her place. <laughs> I'm, I'm literally leaning on history here. This is, this is not. A judgment. I just, I'm just curious. I'm, that, I'm, I'm positing that as, as a, as a possible theory. You know, maybe he's saying that like that would have been too unrealistic at the time. But it's interesting how he does. It's like a revisionist version of history, but at the same time, uh, it's, it's, it seems to be well researched. It seems that they did a good job, like researching about the time and mistakes. Though there, there were a few, few mistakes. Yeah. They're like what deliberate mistakes or just mistakes in research. Yeah. Or oh, in research. Uh, d- uh, dynamite didn't exist in those times, and yeah, they, 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 they had it. It, it was invented, I think, nine years later or something. Yeah. So, but I'm fine with that. I mean, yeah. alternative history and Tarantino. That's. That, that exists that's fine I'm fine with that because first of all it gives an oppressed people a chance to kick ass exactly it, it, it kind of uh, brings history to justice absolutely yeah, yeah. absolutely and I I, I I fully agree with that I think it's a great idea because if you can't have it in you know in fiction where can you have it I mean it's already in the past something has to be done <laughs> and if you can do Inglorious Bastards and if you can do Django Unchained that's absolutely fine I'm happy with that but if you create this alternative world just be consistent yeah. so so my, my my problem was with inconsistencies like um, when the um, the sticks of dynamite exploded near the end that wasn't a really big explosion and then the same amount of sticks of dynamite destroyed 
Exactly. Yeah. So, so that that was <laughs> that was my only qualm. I don't know why. That, really that's that's the cartoonish side of the uh, of the film, isn't it? I know. I don't know why I decided to pick on that because there's so many inconsistencies and stuff, yeah. and I'm fine with those. But just the one thing, like you know, just a one little gun exploding somebody in, entirely. Yeah. <laughs> but that's Tarantino. I mean, I, I but that's meant to be humorous in yeah. some ways, so you can't take it. You can't take it too seriously. I always see it as like he uses a respectable degree of authenticity to then smuggle in a few a few sort of liberties to just you know so that he can achieve the, his own cinematic goals and you know I mean even Inglorious had Bridget von Hammersmark you know she was quite an empowered spy you know working for the British Secret Service it's all very exciting they, you know Django had none of that the the only real female character was the entire motivation for the vengeance effectively and yeah that is you know maybe that's an oversight on Tarantino's part but he's no stranger to female empowerment you know Kill Bill being a prime example but maybe that was a weakness of Django I don't know I don't know I did I did I think it's it's like it seems he tried with the with Mr (laughs) with yeah no it seems he he tried with um, uh, Candy's sister just to create some sort of mental crazy character, just to just to have another female who can give something, something, you know. That was just awkwardly incestuous. <laughs> I don't. They were supposedly Frenchified, and you're supposed to kiss, you know. I guess. It's that strange Cajun <laughs> thing. I don't know. I mean, it, I think it's deliberately ambiguous, which just makes you question his whole morality. And just makes him this weirdly, you know, alien villainous character. Which, as an aside, DiCaprio clearly had a lot of fun with that role. Like he, like finally, seems this this greatly villainous. You know, you've seen him in some some dangerous roles before, and, and certainly in sort of Inception and and. Um, I think it's the best DiCaprio yeah, here in this film. Shutter Island, you know, he's definitely maturing, but this is like the first time you really see him is like grappling with a role and just having a lot of fun with it, you know. I actually did some research and I found out that he was incredibly um, uncomfortable about how racist and evil this character was. <laughs> really? And Tarantino told him, just take it as far as you can, because if you don't, people will never forgive you. Ah, <laughs> nice. <laughs> because once you do, once you do it, you can't go back and redo it. You have to make sure that yeah. Yeah, that you're you know. Absolutely. So yeah, no, he was very good. And apparently, in the scene, the, the scene in the where they sit around the table and he smashes his hand on the glass. He was still in character. He actually did smash his hand on that the glass. That was real blood. Yeah, it was real blood, and they kept it in because he stayed in character. Well done, Mr. D- Mr. DiCaprio. I was never great. Wow. He's fun. come a long way from Home Improvement in the '90s with Tim Allen. I'll say that much. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No. He. I thought. I thought he did very, very well. I thought it was. I think um, he wasn't even supposed to be. I think he was supposed to be playing Mr. Uh, Dr. King Schultz. Really? Right. Yeah. To start with, <coughs> but uh, <laughs> oh my. <laughs> um, but um, Tarantino decided that he he wasn't his accent German accent wasn't convincing enough or something <laughs> even even though he speaks it decently so he basically gave him the other role right and got got a German and got a German playing <laughs> a German that's yeah German. and also I think the and Django was written specifically for Will, Will Smith, Smith. but Will Smith yeah, refused I heard about that and I thought that's 
I mean, I think Jamie Foxx did a really good job. You don't need to give all good roles to Will Smith. There are plenty of good bad actors. He did a very good job. And um, just as a bit of an anecdote... He was a bit overshadowed, I would say, by, uh, by Christoph Waltz. I don't know. I, I think that for a, for a, for a, he's, he plays the hero in the film. I think that for a hero, uh, I, I, I missed something in, the, in, uh, in his performance. I think that he needed something else. It, it, it needed a, a bit of a boost there. Well, I think he, he did very good. Like, did very good. There we go. Good English there. Um, he did very well. At, oh, I do that all the time. Don't worry. It's fine. I'm a native speaker. I should be better than this. <laughs> Um, he did very well at, at appearing the kind of unguided hero. You know, he needed the guidance of, of um, Christopher Foltz's character to really, like, show him the path. And I think, you know, like I said, he's, he's this person with a great great power, great potential, but not really sure how to channel it and how to really enact his own vengeance. And, and um, you know, the, the dentist really offers him that vehicle, that, that means to, to, to do that. Um, and I thought, you know... It's, they needed to be a duo. I don't think they had strength alone. It was their united, like, more than the, the sum of their parts. They were a duo, and that's why they are the kind of the, the, the titular sort of, you know, the people on the posters. That's, that's who they are. Are you going to say something else? Yeah, no, just a small anecdote. The, um, you know, the scene with um, Jamie Foxx, and, and he's like, he says his name is Django, and the guy says, um, oh, yeah, the D is silent. That guy is played by the person who played the original Django in the 1960s. Franco Nero. There we go, the 1966 Django. Um, just a Very unfortunate name. I don't know. Like, you, what's, what's the name of this other actor? His surname is Franco, James Franco as well. I don't know why people use these names, because you don't see anybody called Hitler, do you? <laughs> but but if, if someone's called Franco, that's, oh, that's fine. No, I mean, I don't know, James Franco, Davy Franco, they're doing all right. <laughs> Franco himself he did all right as well. Yeah. Well, it's better than I have to say, I I know that you weren't really sure about Dr. King Schultz because he was so like um, the other character yeah, in glorious. England, Glorious Bastards, which is fair enough because he was very similar, obviously playing a German and, and um, somebody slightly evil maybe not necessarily unhinged thank you i think that's better because he wasn't really evil he was killing the bad people he was he was using his inner evil whatever it was to 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 do some good i suppose he preferred to kill them rather than to take them alive but it's his remorselessness (laughs) that gets the job done i mean inglorious is a whole other discussion but it's certainly in django it's his ability to not really flinch when killing people to to do what he's doing and you know he gets money out of it the letters did say dead or alive he preferred dead yeah, he gave him a choice he was within his bounds he was within his confines of, of the contract to like dead or alive well I chose dead because it's easier to transport a dead body than it is to coerce a live one I don't know I don't know what he thinks it's less of a hassle but I have to say that Dr. King Schultz I think so far must be one of my favourite Tarantino characters really? absolutely I agree. I completely adore that character. He was funny and and just angry and intelligent and at the same time just sarcastic. And he was a teacher and a killer. And it was just, he was amazing. I really, really loved him. I In some way, I think he, he did brighten up the, the film. Yeah. Yes. yes I, I did enjoy the scene where they, they go to a, uh, like they end up at a bar. And he just goes behind the bar and pours himself a pint. I thought that was a nice little touch. There are, there are a lot of nice little touches. Yeah. I'm going to get there in a minute. Uh, here, here's my monologue now. <laughs> First of all, I, I want to I say that Tarantino is, is a filmmaker, but it's kind of a rock star. 
because uh, it's, it's one of these film directors that, uh, you know, when you go to see a Tarantino film, it's like going to see a rock concert. And I actually saw it, I didn't see it here in the film, but I saw it at the Cameo, I saw it in a 35 millimeter print, wow. which is brilliant. <laughs> And it's actually the format that Tarantino prefers. I don't have any problem with the, you know, with, with this kind of uh, projections, but I don't have any problem with the digital cinema either. Like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of easy as long as the, the quality of the image uh, is is good. I'm, I'm happy with it, and the quality, the quality of the projection has to be hasn't, good as well. Hasn't he personally said that he likes the cameo in Edinburgh? I think, I think that that is a quote. I think he did a Q and A there before, yeah. a satellite Q and A. I think so. I don't, I don't know exactly. So he, he must like this in my opinion, he accepted to, to be interviewed there. Uh, so basically, he doesn't like digital, he, he likes film. Uh, one of the things uh, that was fascinating is the atmosphere in the theater, because um, I think that the atmosphere was fantastic. People seemed very excited, and uh, during the film, you could tell that people were actually loving the film, and they were laughing with it, and there were tears. And I, I, I really had a blast watching this film. I, I really loved it. And I had a big smile on my face since the opening credits and the music started. And I wasn't smiling, obviously, all throughout because even if it's very funny, it's also very brutal and shocking. So the, the movie kind of goes from serious to, to funny, from funny to serious. It's, it's kind of a blend of genres as well. But, but mostly, it's, uh, and it's, this is an expression I really dislike, it's a love letter. Uh, I'm going to say it anyway. It's a love letter to, to the Western genre and uh, ultimately, like all of his films, it's a love letter to movies and the, the medium of cinema. And every Tarantino film, I think it uh, transpires that uh, love for movies. And in the case of Django, I felt like... Uh, it felt to me like the rock concert where the rock star is inviting the audience to move along with his music and the dialogues are the music and the audience's reactions uh, from laughter to shock or from shock to laughter are the dance. Uh, and it obviously, as you said before, it's a revenge story, one, one of many, because <laughs> that's what he does uh, best. And uh, there is a love story too, but it's, it's not really given much time. Uh, what, what counts here is the, the, the revenge and there are also many elements in this in this film that are uh, that are kind of uh, part of the Tarantino trademark. Let's say there is this great soundtrack with the uh, uh, we have even Ennio Morricone. Uh, it has some an anachronistic music. We have many titles running over the screen, and I, I think he does a very good use of the titles uh, using different sizes and uh, directions to mark where we are in the story. Uh, for example, the, the, the Mississippi part comes with a massive title telling us that we are in, a, uh, in Mississippi and uh, where the, that, that's the place where the film actually starts uh, and that creates a kind of excitement and uh, anticipation. And uh, the, we always have a great cast with every Tarantino film and uh, you always have kind of a forgotten name, you know, this, uh, here we had Franco, uh, Franco Nero and uh, you have some other faces that uh, is, it, he always he likes bringing, bringing these people back. From uh, from past glories, and uh, he managed. He also managed to reboot some careers as well, like Travolta's <laughs> career in Pulp Fiction. Uh, the Western. I think that the, whether the film is a Western or not, or, or not, there are always Western themes and uh, there's kind of Western touches in all his films. And here we have some black exploitation as well, which is uh, something that Tarantino seems to adore. Uh, we have the food fetish, which is uh, always a trademark of the of the house. 
No, you, you never notice the foot fetish. Every single film we have. There's always shots of feet. It's always a close-up of a foot. In Django. In Django, uh, Django, I think it's a male in this case, but normally it's a female foot. Uh, so I think there's a, a little twist in this film. I mean, yeah, no, for me, the most like obvious of that is the chat about foot massages in Pulp Fiction. The foot massage, and then we, 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 we get that in... Um, um, <laughs> but I don't remember that in Django, but obviously, yeah, they have... We get that in Death Proof very clearly, like a, like a close-up uh, close of, yeah. of a foot as well, a female foot in that, in that case. We have a lot of flashbacks, a lot of movie references, but even if these are things that uh, we all expect from a Quentin Tarantino film, you never really know what you're going to get because if he's demonstrated something is that he likes playing with the audience's expectations and, and when you think something's going to go in one direction, then it takes a turn and it, it goes in a completely different direction. There are only two things, two, uh, two problems that I have with this film. The, the first one I hear, I agree with uh, George, is that I think he stretches the ending of the film. I think that cutting 20 minutes out of the film, it would have made it a much better film. Uh, <laughs> I, th I think it suffers from uh, the Return of the King syndrome. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, no, enough said, enough said. <laughs> and then, uh, as I said before, I think Jamie Foxx is a little bit overshadowed by, by Christopher, uh, Christoph Waltz, uh, I think, because he's meant to be the hero of the tale. Uh, I, I think Christoph Waltz's charisma it steals the show and uh, even DiCaprio has a secondary role here and he, he has a bigger presence but I think underplaying it it might be it might be actually a benefit to the film I'm not sure I probably need to watch it again but I think uh, the film might benefit for this underplaying from uh, from Jamie Foxx uh, we, we, we talk about Will Smith I don't know if he would have been a better choice uh, I'm quite happy with the I'm happy with Jamie, with Jamie Fox and also. Uh, it, it I think Will Smith probably would have taken you away from the story because you, there, you associate Will Smith to so many blockbuster films and so many. I, think, I don't know. I think well, he's a great actor. That's why he's always he's always hired. But also because he brings the the crowds, you know, mm. to the cinemas. But it, to be perfectly honest, it just seems that he's he's the go-to guy when they need a a, a good black. Uh, character, whereas you, you, you've got so many good actors to choose from, you don't always have to go to the same one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the, yeah the cliche actors are Sam Jackson, Will Smith. I mean, obviously, Samuel Jackson was in this film and to be honest, did very well considering that he's often typecast as usually the wise talking, you know, you know, whip smart kind of guy. And this, this was he was very different, very out of his shell. But Jamie, Jamie was an inspired choice, and I think Will Smith wouldn't have done justice to the role at all. Will Smith is great in, in some of the roles he's cast. Like, you know, look at Independence Day going back a bit. He's fantastic in that. And I thought that's, he was great in I Am Legend. And yeah, I was going to say I Am Legend, but like I just pictured him in I Am Legend in this and it just jars. It does not work. It's not the same kind of role. He's a bit too, maybe not flippant, but he's he's got a, a light-hearted edge that doesn't work with Django. Django, like... Too family-friendly as well. Well, exactly. I mean, the character of Django is someone who's genuinely tortured, like, literally and emotionally. Like, he's gone through so much. And, and I don't know if Will, for all his talent, could have really conveyed that kind of pathos that Jamie very adeptly did. You know, Jamie's or if got... you could buy it from Will Smith. 
I don't know. Like, I mean, Jamie's got versatility. You see him in even like Collateral and and things like that. You know, he's and Ray, like his his portrayal of, of, great of Ray, yeah, absolutely, absolutely fantastic. You know, he's got that versatility. He's got that depth. And I thought he did that in Django. And I mean, you say he's he's overshadowed a little bit by by Christoph Waltz, but I think that's maybe not deliberate, but it's it's appropriate just for what I said before. You know, he is this this sub this character that is at. The, the, the whim. It's a transformation as well because he's set free. There is a transformation of character. He's kind of more liberated. Mm. So from the beginning of the film, he, you can see that he's a bit more turned down. But at the, at the very end, he kind of takes more personality. It's like here I am, and yeah. it kind of it shows that there could actually be a sequel to the film in which he could show what he really he, he what he has become. An unnecessary sequel, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. I wouldn't have a problem well, with the sequel to the film. Later, I mean, the, he was um, Tarantino said that apparently he he wanted um, Django and his wife to be the great 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 grandparents of uh, Shaft. Uh, That's why right. she was called Brunhilde von Shaft. <laughs> yeah. There you go. He's like he likes his his contained universes where all his characters have some kind of link, you know. Some and, they, and they both have a good music theme as well. Well, let's they talk. Always do, don't they? They always he's do. Really good at that. Well, he's an absolute, almost like savant as far as his his record collections go. I mean, he's got them sorted and organized in all sorts of eclectic systems. And he, like, when you look at his soundtracks, nothing's ever composed for his movies. They are all handpicked from his own collections. You know, he's got a lot. I mean, a lot of Ennio Morricone, but a lot of just like really classic, appropriate tracks. And what I really liked about Django is that he didn't really go for historical sounding tracks like a lot of it was was era relevant but a lot of it was hip-hop a lot yeah, of it was really anachronistic. Re- really anachronistic but really like just like, I mean you said Tantine is a rock star he goes for effect over authenticity and, and that really worked like musically acoustically it was fantastic and it's a way of Tarantino that Tarantino has of saying uh, here I am this is a Tarantino film this is not like uh, any other film well let's, take, let's talk a little bit about the humour in the film because uh, I, there is a big part of the film that plays as comedy and I, I, lo- I laughed a lot watching this film and I think it is Christoph Waltz the most comedic character in the film and in some way he also was a comedic in Glorious Bastards but here he plays a more let's say benevolent uh, character uh, it's still negative, but not as bad as the Colonel Landa. No, no. Well, the, the big comic scene is probably the Cuckoo's Ku Clan scene that got the whole theater laughing hysterically. Uh, it's kind of an intermission. It's, it's, it's like the accordion scene in Holy Motors. You know? <laughs> yeah. uh, but as a joke, I, th- I think for my taste, I think it goes on for too long. No, <laughs> uh, no it doesn't. <laughs> oh, okay, then no, I'm, I'm alone because no, no, that was the, audi- the, the audience didn't think either. That was my that, my thought too. I thought, oh, this is funny. This is funny. This is getting a bit boring now. Get on with the action. It was it was funny, but I think also maybe I just it's because I didn't expect it because Tarantino usually doesn't write just purely yeah. comedic bits. He puts funny bits yeah. in in he, and weaves them in, but he yeah. never actually writes whole bits that no. are just meant yeah. to be funny. Which is maybe why I just thought, oh, this is a bit too long. But I, th- I think probably stretching the, the joke is what, uh, for some people in the audience, made it funnier. The fact that yeah. it kept going and kept going. And that, was, that was exactly why I found it so funny, because it was unlike Tarantino, because it, it, it pushed expectations, and the more he pushed it, the funnier I found it. I'm sure I might have had a threshold that, was, that might have been a bit, a bit later, maybe I might have found it a bit too much at one point, but I thought it was very well executed, because it was so... 
so unexpected. You know, you didn't, you just don't expect these people to actually encounter the pragmatic difficulties of having the KKK masks on. And you're like, well, I can't see, you know, what's going to happen? And it was just, I personally found it hilarious. Well, he makes it very clear that it's a comic scene because yeah. you even get Jonah Hill in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, well, I mean, Jonah Hill is a comedy actor, but he he was fairly deadpan in most of that scene I was quite impressed I was yeah. like hey Jonah's in a serious role what's going on and then oh no no it's a comedy scene never mind <laughs> <laughs> I still think that I think the the whole thing about the Ku Klux Klan is something that needed to be addressed in the film I think it's also kind of a reference and a kick in the ass as well to the, for anyone who's studied the cinema history D.W. Griffith and his, his film uh, very masterful and racist film The Birth of a Nation And I think that the whole film is a big kick in the ass as well to racism itself by creating this fictitious hero that makes the, this fantasy a fun way of dealing with the demons of the past. Uh, and in that sense, I think it's an important film. And uh, it brings up this uh, sensitive issue of a shameful past like uh, no other film has done before. Because we see many f movies about uh, the Jewish Holocaust. Many of them. Many films. Like every year there's a film about the Holocaust. And they always up for awards. But, but, but not many films about the black slave holocaust. Uh, for me, th my first introduction to the slavery, it wasn't actually a school. It was a TV series called Roots. I don't know if you guys seen it. Uh, that's back in the 80s. Uh, and it, it, it tells the story of a black slave called Kunta Kinte. I'm sure many of the listeners are familiar. That the, the people who are from my generation, the older listeners are familiar with this. Uh, I haven't seen many films addressing this subject. Uh, at least since the roots. Uh, I think Spielberg did touch it up a little bit in Amistad and now with Lincoln, as you said before. Uh, but, the, but the hero in Lincoln is a, is a white hero, while Tarantino brings back the, uh, the, the, the black hero, let's say. That's kind of the black exploitation thing here. Well, what do you think about the whole controversy around the, the violence of the film, considering that it came out just after one of many of these mass shootings that happen in America, uh, they've been so many that I lost count. What do you think about the violence? I think it's the same recycled debate that happens any time, if not a Tarantino film, but certainly a violent film comes out. And it just seems, to me, it just seems just it was going to achieve nothing. It's going around the circle again and again. And it's it seems separate from, from the debate. I mean, there's always violence in the media just because there's violence in the world and the violence that people see in the news is going to be no different to what people see in, in film and, and you know what affects children is is so, such an incomprehensible variety of factors that to just hone in on film or video games or anything like that just seems to be missing the point personally it upsets me actually um, I, I didn't I couldn't care less really I mean it's a Tarantino film what do you expect yeah. if you don't like it don't go and see you it get what you pay for. exactly you get what you pay and, for but it upsets me because if it's films or Tarantino films that make people go and shoot other people then how is it that it doesn't happen here in Britain how is it that it doesn't happen in Europe we watch Tarantino films we quite like them so yeah. how is it that it only happens in America it's gun laws gun laws <laughs> <laughs> it's all coming uh Well, I, I, th I think that the, the films give you that pleasure they get when you are throwing darts at the picture of your angry and horrible boss. It's no real, it's no real violence, but it's, it's, it's kind of fun, like a fun way of getting things out of your body or your, of your system. And, and also notice that the violence in the film is more comic when it's aimed at the evil white people in contrast to the serious and painful violence towards the slaves. So we, we kind of get two different violence here. Uh, but uh, to sum it up, uh, my position on movie violence is that it's 
it's only a movie. <laughs> so don't take it too seriously. There are, uh, uh, there are also many violent films where the violence is shown in a very bad taste. And in Tarantino's films, the violence can be very brutal. Not really gory, but really bloody. But I think that he doesn't cross the line and he's respectful to the drama of slavery. For example, in The Mandingo Fight, or the scene where a slave is attacked by a dog, the camera moves away. So we hear a lot, but we don't actually see it. That's, that's something that he does a lot. You, you think you've seen something and you are disgusted by it, but you actually haven't seen it because this isn't actually hostile. Uh, and the violence uh, uh, against the white people is bloodier and uh, more stylized, uh, even more cartoonish, as I said before. But I, I can't really... Uh, I cannot deny that I sometimes struggle with, with, with the violence, that I can be morally challenging in some way. You were grown up. You're not a child that's going to be influenced by yeah. a film like that. It's not that you, but you, you, you will understand if people get yes, offended by you're it. You're not going to take a five-year-old child to go and see that film and then the child's going to get influenced and then become some sort of a bloody murderer. No, that's why you have your PG-12, PG-14, 18 or whatever, and you, you know you're not going to take a child to see it. I think he, he, he trusts the intelligence of the audience. Yeah, Maybe too much, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, apparently... Uh, Spike Lee was uh, he actually haven't seen the film but I think he was a bit bothered by the use of the n-word in the film so many people have banged on about that and it just seems like like why why be so sensitive about it like it just seems but he wanted ridiculous. to show the past the, the horrible past of his country mm. and if he shows slavery how is it so it's fine to show slaves being beaten and branded with hot mm. iron yeah. but it's not okay to to say the words that they were cold with because why I don't really yeah. see <laughs> the logic does not follow through the logic doesn't follow through it's just I don't know like you shouldn't you shouldn't be so inconsistent I see, I see that people turn against it there is no way of uh, rationalizing it like it's just going to be against it so no. right let, let's talk about uh, the iconic scenes because in the Fantinous films they're always in every film we get an iconic at least one iconic scene yes. and uh, in Inglourious Basterds we have this uh, French farm at the beginning of the film or the scene in the tavern uh, there is this scene with Christopher Walken interrogating Dennis Hopper in true romance which uh, I saw last weekend it still wow. stands up and it's brilliant there's a, a great opening scene in Django as well, and there's also the, the, the dinner scene with DiCaprio, which I thought was one of the best. <coughs> there are uh, scenes that have stayed with me, and that they are kind of designed to leave a mark on, uh, on our consciousness, on our cinephile consciousness. And that's why Tarantino, that's why I think he's a genius. Uh, like he knows how to design these scenes, and he knows how to create tension, and how to play with the audience's expectations. He also, uh, something that he does a lot is uh, he invests a lot in characters and uh, through the, through the, uh, there is a lot of, there are a lot of dialogues and through the dialogues he manages to create a build-up so the action actually has a greater impact so it's kind of a payoff. Although you could agree that the dialogues themselves are a payoff because I actually enjoy the dialogues more than I, more than I enjoy the action. But Tantino's films aren't just made of uh, uh, iconic scenes, they are always these little touches, as you said before, uh, the little details that really make a difference, like the scene in which Dr. Schultz or Christopher Watts tells a Django story. Uh, they, are, they are on top of a mountain between some big rocks, and uh, he tells the story next to a fireplace, and we see him telling the story with the wall of the rock that kind of reminded me of, uh, and I say this with the risk of being pretentious, which is a risk that I never really mind taking. It reminded me of uh, Plato's allegory of the Cavern of the Shadows, in which people who live 
chained to the wall of a cave think that the shadows projected on this blank wall are the actual reality? Like those slaves in the plantation who think slavery is the natural way and therefore uh, they don't rebel uh, against their master. And this moment where Dr. Schultz uh, tells the German fairy tale, it's a moment that sets up the motive for the hero and that also reclaims the value of storytelling and the value of film. Uh, the film represented in those shadows on the wall, the shadows that capture our imagination. Now, uh, enough of this. Let's have some final words here, uh, Susanna. Oh, I you recommend this film? I, obviously. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've always loved Tarantino in the first place, but I think it's one of his best films yet. Um, I'm not sure if it's the best, but I think it's definitely up there. Um, it's very good. I would definitely recommend it. I mean, Tarantino's films are like are like cheeses and wines. They get better with age, and you look back on things like Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, and you can't remove them from the pantheon of, of fantastic films in our in our history. And Tarantino's not gonna go away anytime soon. You know, he's 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 a landmark. He's fantastic. You can't really avoid talking about something like Inglorious or in Django. And Django is going to stand up to the test of time, I think. You know, people often put, put aside things like Death Proof and Planet Terror and they think, oh, you know, not quite as good. I, you know, each film that he does is always treated with the same kind of care. Well, and did, that, that was a B movie and this is an A movie. Yeah, well, absolutely. You know, this was designed to be a blockbuster and it certainly busted some blocks. You know, it was... It was <laughs> It was an achievement, you know, and it's just like, it's just like glorious. It's a great vengeance flick. You can't, you get sucked in by it and it's Kill Bill, Tarant like Tarantino, he does, he does what he does very well and you, you, you know, you'd be a fool to miss out. Excellent. Well, I can say is that it's a Tarantino movie. So some people will like it, some people won't like it. Uh, I, I really liked it. And I, and I get the, that feeling that the... I think Tarantino is getting better with the time. Uh, maybe because he's, uh, he used to make movies that were basically a style over content, whereas now uh, he's found a place for both. I really hope he keeps making movies because uh, he suggested he might retire at some point. Like he, he, he says that filmmakers are like boxers. They need to know when to hang up their gloves. <laughs> right, before we, we go away... Um, there's one person who's been a part of the show as well. So we want to give it a quick shout. Hello. Hello, Mark. How are you? Hi, I'm much better. Basically, I just uh, wanted you to give us some thoughts about Django and Team. What do you think about yeah. Django? I thoroughly enjoy Django Unchained. Um, I think it's the same that I had such great performances in, but it's probably not going to be rewarded at the Oscars because of the other films that's up there, like Le Mis. Um, as always, Christoph Waltz is excellent, but so is Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, it was a long film, but I thought it did very well to bring humour into a potentially risky setting with all the racial elements. Uh, one section of the Ku Klux Klan in particular, bickering about the hoods, I thought was an incredibly brave way to diffuse the situation. Um, and to me, actually the most boring bit about it uh, was the one or two sections, which were the hyper-violent sections. I mean, everyone thinks that's what Tarantino is best at and what he's known for. But in reality, I think as he's gotten older, he's become better at characterization and... Um, the filmmaking style that's become more unique in studies with films like Inglorious Bastards and Django Unchained so to me the short bits of 
well, not even the short bits, the excessive, really long bits of violence, I thought, were the least interesting part, which otherwise interesting film. I'd be interested to see what Tarantino would be capable of if he didn't feel the need to put those sections in. But apart from that, I thought it was an excellent film, and a worthy follow-up to Inglourious. Right, what, what, uh, uh, regarding this uh, controversy about violence in the film, and uh, particularly the fact that the film came out just after many... But one of these uh, shootings in America, and people were complaining about the violence in the film. Where do you stand there? I'm of the opinion that um, action on screen, based in films or video games, isn't an automatic trigger for making somebody commit an atrocity in the real world. Um, Tarantino recently nearly stormed out of an interview with Channel 4 News because he'd been asked the same questions about violence for 20 odd years. I can see where it's coming from. I think it, it's. It's a factor that comes into um, comes into contact with other factors regarding a person's own personal health and issues. I just don't think you can out and out blame a film, especially one that never sets out to be realistic in its portrayal of violence and certainly doesn't glamorise it. So, you know, I, I just don't understand that, that, um, that a Wild West film makes um, you know makes people go out and commit atrocities in real life. And I'll say the same for video games in the past. Right, uh, do you recommend this film as some final word well, on it? If you've got a spare three hours, yes, I'd definitely recommend this. I wanted to ask you one more thing. From all the the films that we have discussed in the in the show, so all the titles that were the main title of discussion in our, in our podcast, in our, all the 31 episodes, do you have a favorite? Yeah. Which one is it? Um, I really enjoyed The Descendants, um, although it, it did have problems. It possibly wasn't as good as everyone thought it was. Um, so, so, you really enjoyed The Descendants? The Descendants. Okay. From last year. I yeah. really enjoyed that. Uh, I, I don't think it was as good as everyone kind of said it was, but it was enjoyable all the same. And I really enjoyed Young Adults with Charlie's The Rod. I thought it was an unexpected hit. All and right. Mother Earth was actually probably just top that. All right, and you saw choices. I think we all chose a different uh, different title, so that's interesting. No, that's why that's what makes discussing films interesting. Uh, Mark, all I want to say is just thank you very much for uh, for contributing to the show. Uh, it's been it's been a joy listening to you, uh, listening to, to your opinions and your thoughts, and also reading your uh, the glorious Mark Granger TV column. They were they were amazing, and uh, yeah, that's all I have to say. You, you, it's been a pleasure meeting you and chatting with you, and uh, with luck with everything. Where, where where can people find more about you? If, if you're a twittering person, you can follow me at, at Mark Granger. Um, and on the internet, it's just markgrangerwrites.wordpress.com. Um, but, you know, thanks for having us on the podcast. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, just, you know, thanks everyone for listening, basically. All right. Uh, don't worry. We'll be in touch. So I, I, I'll email you every now and then. Um, yes. Thank you very much, Mark, for, uh, for, for joining us on the show. And, uh, and good luck. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. What other archaic rituals are you people forbidden to take part in? What? Like, for instance, what if we were to walk into the saloon here, sit down at a table, order a drink, and drink it? Would the authorities frown on that? Hell yeah, they're gonna frown. 
what part would they find the most offensive? All of it. I could be walking no saloon, I could be sitting down in no chair at no table, I could be drinking no drink, and I definitely can't be sharing no drink with no white man in public. So if you and I were to do these things, that would be considered enough of an infraction for the saloon keeper to go and get the sheriff? You bet your sweet ass they get the sheriff. In that case, Django, after you. No, I just wanted to say that uh, uh, the Borrowed Time film that I saw, the, that was the Best of Fest, the festival last year, um, they're trying to, they're trying to um, distribute the film themselves and they've got a uh, kickstart on the Kickstarter website, they've got a little bit where they're trying to get money. Um, so I would like to urge people to go and donate because it's a really, really good film and it should be seen. Right. Uh, and we're wrapping up now. Uh, that's it for episode 31 of the Movie Wave. Uh, it's been two years doing the show. I started it with George actually, uh, then Susanna joining, uh, then uh, Mark came in when George couldn't make it. It has actually been four years of podcasting for me. I, I don't discard doing another podcast in the future. Maybe another, maybe in another language. We'll see. But I'd like to say some thanks here. First of all, to you guys, Susanna and George. Uh, you, along uh, with Mark, made this podcast happen. And I enjoyed listening to you guys. And I, I learned a lot from you. Uh, you're, you're both great critics, great writers, and far more eloquent and articulate talkers than, than I am. So, so thank you, guys. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. Um, I, I also, I, I also want to say thank you to our publisher of Tricycle Magazine, Danny Jackson, for his great support and the whole Tricycle team, the contributors, our collaborator, Christopher Smale. But most of all, I want to thank uh, you listeners for listening to this podcast, for enduring my strong accent and my regular stutters. Uh, I, I really hope that, that you enjoyed listening to our very particular opinions and I, I don't know if you guys want to say something before we go just keep watching movies yeah I couldn't have said it better myself thanks for the experience and keep watching films okay that's it we're done Tricycle Magazine is not responsible for the content of this program and all opinions and views expressed on the show are solely of the individuals thanks again for listening our wave has now reached the shore goodbye I'm shutting you down. This podcast is a production of Calvinet Entertainment for Tricycle Magazine. Find out more at tricycle.co.uk. That's T-R-I-S-I-C-K-L-E dot co dot U-K. So you know that I'll be there. I've got a penny for your thoughts if you care to drop them off. Or you can meet me at the station. I'm beyond the hesitation. You're backing up miles to reach me The ticket was void, the driver was lost And the people on the bus are telling you to get off Run, 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 run as fast as you can Tell me how low can you go, you're in out of control then Oh no, you're overexposed when